Good morning, church. <laughs> Let us pray. Everlasting Father, we thank you for your love and grace. We thank you for your presence in our lives. Collectively, as your children this morning, we pray to you as our Father to give us an understanding of your word, to show us who we used to be, and to help us to open our eyes on what you have done for us and what we have become in you. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Um, <clears throat> I would like to share um, with us this morning about a familiar passage. It's not a new one. I'm very sure we've heard the story before so many times. Some of us, you know, <laughs> we were like we were born into this story. <laughs> and um, before I proceed, I would like to appreciate the opportunity to stand before the people of God this morning. Um, you know, when you receive a text message or a call from <laughs> Brother McDonald, you know, <laughs> all of a sudden, your body becomes all ears, you know, like you, are, you start listening to all God's messages, you know. <laughs> and that's how I feel sometimes. So, um, this morning, we will be doing a little reading. And also, I would like to share my thought on what we've read. So, the title is A Father and His Sons. Can we, if we, I think we have it on the screen, so we might not even need to open our Bible now. But, so, the version in, on the screen is NLT, New Living Translation, so... I will read from it. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So, Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. 
When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God. There are 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. He continued, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. In that passage, we actually have um, three stories, three parables. But I chose this one because, um, you know, I could see myself visibly more in this story. (laughs) To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to to spare. And here, I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son embraced him and kissed him. He said, his, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servant, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields walking. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. 
The older brother was hungry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, I wonder who told him that, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. Okay, so that's the passage, and um, like I said, it's not a new passage. It's not new. I don't think it's new to most of us here. And um, my objective is to refresh our minds and possibly extend it. You know, maybe we can find something new on it that is going to help us on this journey. So what triggered this parable from Jesus Christ? Verse 1 to 3. Tax collectors. <laughs> in order for me, in Canada, it will be called CRA. <laughs> and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. It's not the first time they always come to listen to him. But they've got this thing in their mind. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. They are not sinful people, you know. <laughs> Even eating with them. Okay, so Jesus said, okay, maybe we can talk about this now. And he started with a story. So, if you are like me, sometimes we get used to a word that you even think you know the meaning of the word. <laughs> and you will, have, you know, you will keep saying the word, and one day someone is going to ask you, what's the meaning of that word? And you're like, uh-uh. Do you know, I actually thought I, <laughs> I know the meaning. Parable is a common word in the gospel of Jesus, in the, in the gospel. So, I've heard a lot about parable, but I never, you know, sat myself down to ask, what is the meaning of parable? You know, we are so used to it. So, a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the gospels. A Nigerian preacher once described it as an earthly story with heavenly meaning. (laughs) 
So, why did Jesus tell them this story? Jesus saw it as an opportunity to pass a message about God's unconditional love and his grace. That if we can connect to it through the humility and repentance of our hearts, we will be rewarded. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Verse 20, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, there is a better righteousness. These people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they have their differences, but they have something that is very common between them. They are both experts of the law. But here, Jesus is telling us, that unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, as an expert of the law, that is still not sufficient to enter the kingdom of heaven. So, what's the righteousness Jesus is talking about? Let's start with the younger son. I want my share of your estate now before you died. That's a very strong one. And um, while preparing this, what keeps coming to my mind is the guy sound like I'm done with your authority. As a matter of fact, <laughs> are you not going to die? Can you just get me my stuff now? Like, if you want to live forever, that's your problem. Just get me my stuff now. I want to be independent. I want to have a full control of my life, and I want it with my own share of your wealth. <laughs> to, you know? To prove it that it meant what you are saying. Verse 13 says, He 
packed his belongings and moved to a distant land. Like, I don't even want anything to do with it. Like, I don't, want to, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I just want to be on my own. There are two verses that popped up in my mind when I read this. And the first one is Proverb chapter 14, verse 12. It's a popular one. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it hangs in death. Another one says, trust, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 8, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. And that's, that's a problem for us sometimes, our own understanding. We always have this mind that makes us look as if we know better than God. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. He stressed it further. He says, verse 7, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Don't be impressed by your own wisdom. The truth about this is that there, is, there are limitations to our wisdom. The earlier we had made this, the easier it becomes for us on this journey. And um, after all this, the younger son, you know, sounds rebellious, but there is a consequence for every action. Let's see the consequences. Verse 14. I'm sure these, all these consequences didn't come to his mind when he was asking his father for his own share. He thought he has figured it all. Like, he has figured it out all. Like, I understand what I'm going into. Oh, brethren. <laughs> It can be cold outside sometimes. <laughs> Verse 14. He got stranded. He ran out of money. His own ideology about wealth couldn't sustain him. He thought he has figured it out all, you know. Just get, give it to me. I know what I'm doing. He was disappointed. He was disappointed. He didn't see the famine coming. A great famine swept over the land and it began to starve. Degradation. Don't forget this guy is a son. He had to become a slave just to survive. He was hired to feed pigs. Desperation. He became so hungry that even the pots he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. It's amazing 
how he spent a lot of his wealth with people. <laughs> but when the table turned, no one gave him anything. That's the world. <laughs> if you're a football fan, maybe soccer, as it's called in Canada, you will know that you are only as relevant to the fans when <laughs> you have no injuries and you are performing to their expectation. Immediately, you start performing below their expectation. They don't even want to know you again. Like, get out of this team. <laughs> and that's how the world treats us sometimes. When we stray away from the presence of God. I was surprised, but no one gave him anything. He didn't see that coming. So, what did he do? When I was reading about this, I read about <laughs> spiritual insanity. <laughs> and what does that mean? You know, it's a sense of pride that comes into us sometimes and makes us feel we have a better way to figure out our lives than what God is offering to us. But this younger son got it right. Even, you know, regardless of how deep he has gone, he has gone in his wrong ways, he find a way to get it right. And what did he do? He repented. The first step to spiritual sanity is repentance. Brethren, God has done it all for us. How much are you willing to repent from your wicked ways, from that evil ways? He's our Father. He loves us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that includes you and I, that he gave his only, he gave it all because he loves us. And that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That's a promise. If you can try to believe in him, you will not perish. The first step to spiritual sanity is repentance. A return to a realistic understanding of who God is and who we are in relation to him. It's an act of humility. You know, when you got to the end point, you have two options. Turn to God or do otherwise. <laughs> do whatever comes. This guy chose to turn to his father. 
The younger son showed us how this can be done. He realized his choice has been sinful against his father. He's done with lies. He literally embraced the truth when he finally came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So I broke it down. He confessed his sin. He didn't blame shift. You know, sometimes this is the attitude we have. Like, but God, you should understand. Uh, maybe I would have turned to you if my parents were Christian, if I was born as a Christian. You, you, you know, the devil will have a way of dropping those <laughs> lies into our heart and make us, you know, it makes us want to justify our sinful ways in the presence of God. But this guy chose not to. He took full responsibility. He recognized whom he has sinned against, that is, heaven and his father. And you know what? He realized what he actually deserves. And that, this is where the spirit of appreciation comes in. If you truly realize what you deserve, and God choose not to give you what you deserve. He said, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. That's what he deserves. But let's see the father's action. So, he returned home. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Let's have it at the back of our mind that this guy, I'm assuming in my mind that he's going to be so filthy. I don't know if anyone has been to a pig farm before. <laughs> it's always so filthy, you know. And he was there feeding them pot before he came back to his senses. But the father ran towards him. He didn't just run. He embraced him. He didn't even care how dirty he's looking. He kissed him. Brethren, God loves us. And this is the way he loved us. All he wants is for us to repent. He's ready to run to us. As a matter of fact, he's still running to get us. There is um, <clears throat> a commentary I read about, which I loved. 
is by Enrique Gary. And he said, older men in the Middle East, sorry, older men in the Middle East do not run. No. This father was an aged and wealthy landowner. Robes made, robes made running difficult. And the concept of dignity made it inappropriate. Even in our time, important people restrain their emotions publicly. They may jog for exercise, <laughs> like I saw the, our prime minister jogging last week. They rarely race in excitement. But this father's heart is filled with two things. Love for his son and a desire to reach him before any of the judgmental villagers do. <laughs> if you have an experience like mine, I have an idea of what village is. <laughs> you know, it's closely knitted, like, and um, they can talk. They could have start talking like, are you not ashamed of yourself? You even have the mind to come back home. But the father ran <laughs> before any of them could reach him to embrace him and to kiss him. Psalm 51, it's a prayer of repentance offered by David after he sinned with Bathsheba. David did an awful thing in the eyes of God. And God sent prophet Nathan to open his eyes to what he did. And David wrote this psalm. Verse 17, it says, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. A broken spirit. This younger son demonstrated that. And we can see that the father didn't reject him. So, what did the father do? After embracing him, kissing him, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. What his father said to the servant, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Uh, when I was reading this, I was picturing my own father, like my father would have sat me down, like, you know what? Can we talk about this now? You know, what this father here He didn't even allow him to talk. He can see his heart. He can feel the genuine repentance. 
And what did he do? He said, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. And what does that mean? He restored his dignity and honor. And put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Don't forget, this guy is his son. He restored his authority and sonship. And sandals for his feet. Slaves don't wear shoes. <laughs> and kill the calf we have been fattening. This kind of cows are saved for special occasion. That was a special moment for the father. We must celebrate a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. What a picture of God's unconditional love and grace. God's heart is full of compassion for his children. He stands ready to welcome the returning sinner back home with celebration. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9, he says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's been patient for your sake. Am I? He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He doesn't want the devil to have the last laugh on you. He doesn't want him to have the last laugh on us. He's done everything for this, and he's still doing it. So, the younger son was satisfied to return home as a slave, but to his surprise and delight, he is restored back into the full privilege of being his father's son. That's what God's grace does for a repentant sinner. Not only are we forgiven in Christ, but we receive the spirit of adoption to sonship. Galatians 4, verse 5 to 6. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Have a father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir to God through Christ. Verse 7 of Luke 15 says, In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous have gone straight away. The more the merrier. There is enough room for us all. As a matter of fact, Brother David Hansen <laughs> read that chapter this morning, and I was wondering, like, wow, that's how God moves. John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3, he says, Trust in God. 
trust in me also. In my father's house, there are so many mansions. Another version says there are more than enough room. There is more than enough room for everyone. It's not too late to repent if you are like this younger son. You still have your room. Jesus said, if it's, it's not so, I wouldn't have to tell you this. Let's see from the older son's perspective. <laughs> the self-righteous one. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field walking. Fields walking. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was hungry and wouldn't go in. Why? This is your younger brother. Why should he be angry? I think... You should be happy he's back home. But it's beyond that for him. It's more than that. Like, what has he come back to do? He's gotten his own share. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You are a son. You are not a slave. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Did he ask? Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money, on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Brethren, I can see myself clearly here. So, I stumbled on this um, quote. The graceless service of a self-righteous person is more hard duty than a joyful service in thanksgiving. But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. The truth is, the story of his younger brother revealed what's going on in his heart. One of the common quotes here is, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The The older son believed so much in himself and his ability to keep up with the law. I want us to you know, remember how this story started about the Pharisees, the sinners, you know, and Jesus was like, okay, I'm going to tell a story. 
He seems to be, to be hungry because he thinks he's not getting what he deserved for his faithful service. He refused to admit he couldn't do everything on his own. Just like what that proverb, what we read in the proverb, do not depend on your own wisdom. That's the attitude of the older son. It's so much trust in his own wisdom. And Jesus is pointing that out to the Pharisees. Hence, the reason why he won't go in. He refused to enter his father's love, the very, the very thing he was trying to hand all these years. One of my favorite passages for this is Ephesians 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Another version says, we are saved by grace through faith. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. He expansiated Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So, none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So, we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So, for me, God saved you by his grace when you believed. So, if you believe that, if you have faith in that, there should be a shift in the way you see your service to God. You can't take credit for it. There should be a shift. So, my service to God now should be an act of thanksgiving. That's when I don't feel like I am slaving him. When you see it as an act of thanksgiving, I'm so unworthy. You died for me. What can I give in return? My service. But when we fail or we refuse to believe, it becomes a burden. And sometimes we can get weary of it. We can complain like this older son. Now, you know what? All these years I've been slaving for you. Don't you think that I deserve this? God has given us everything. God has given us everything. He gave us his only son. And that son paid the ultimate price for us to have the privilege we have with God. Our service will never be a substitute for what Christ did on the cross. No matter how hard we try, we have to get that clearly. <laughs> Rather, it is expected to be an act of thanksgiving for what Jesus did for us on the cross. Okay, so 
if we understand this, sometimes we still feel like, okay, so I understand that. Does that mean God still won't do anything for me? Apart from what he has done for you, he's not an unjust God. The Hebrew chapter 6, verse 10 says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. He's not an unjust God. All we need to do is to have the right perception about our service. Are you serving him? Are you, you know, exhibiting those good works, thinking that you can use it as a substitute for what God did for us on the, on the cross? That's where it goes wrong. Rather, it should be an act of thanksgiving. When you think of what God has done for you, a sinner, so unworthy, filthy one. Romans, the book of Romans says, for our righteousness is like a filthy rag. So filthy. The older son, he wanted judgment. Like, this son of yours, he doesn't even want to associate himself with him. This son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes and you celebrate by killing a fattened calf. He couldn't wrap his head around the fact that his father could love unconditionally, could welcome this son of his back home. He would have loved it if the father said, get out. I don't want you in any longer. Probably the story will have, the Pharisees will have enjoyed the story better that way. But God showed us the quality of his mercy and grace. And in James chapter 1 verse 20, he says, human hunger does not produce the righteousness God desires. I read a commentary, which I agree a lot with. Hunger is an emotion that humans feel and sometimes struggle to process and cope with. What we learn from this letter written by James is that hunger rooted in human pride, logic, or evil intentions will not produce righteousness because it is not in line with God's love, goodness, or justice. God does not want our hunger or any emotion to get in the way of doing what is good and right in his eyes. Hunger is a feeling that you are not getting your way now. Resentment is a feeling that you did not get your way in the past. These feelings are therefore based on selfishness. 
And God says it doesn't produce righteousness God desires. Matthew 23, verse 23, when Jesus was <laughs> talking and scolding the expert of law, what sorrows await you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? I think I heard this again this morning from Brother Hansen. Hypocrites, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspect of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. And that's what Jesus Christ is trying to introduce to these two set of people. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the most the more important things. I'm running out of time. <laughs> so, what was the father's reaction to the older son? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The father's words are corrective in several ways. The first one is um, he tried to let him know that, you know what? This relationship, father and son relationship we have, is not based on your performance. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. He also tried to restore back the love of his younger brother into his heart. He says, by saying, your brother, not the son of yours. He's your brother. And that's how he should be. 1 John 4, verse 20 to 21 says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he, was, he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Jesus also, in this story, make it clear to us that grace is necessary and appropriate. Verse 32, we had to celebrate. And also, dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. This is some of our, this, to our, this story, we can all relate to this as a Christian. We were lost, but now we were found. Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have another son. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. If we've been paying attention, we will know that this story is being told by a son. 
And this son is, has a different character from the older one. This one went all out. He paid the ultimate price. This morning in our communion service, he became the lamb of God. He did that to bring us back to the presence of God, to reconciliate us back to our Father, to redeem us from snare of death. Luke, verse 19, chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. John chapter 5, verse 24. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. Those who listen to my message and believe in God, who sent me, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. Hebrew chapter 10, verse 11 to 14. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices and again and again and again. But you know what? Which can never take away sins. In fact, verse 3 says it only reminds them of their sins every year. But our high priest, the son we are talking about here, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time, done and dusted. <laughs> then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Doing what? It's not idle. Advocating for us. First John, Chapter 2, verse 1. He's preparing a place for us. John 14, verse 1 to 3. is interceding on our behalf. Hebrews 7, verse 25. There he awaits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that, for by that one offering, he, made, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That's it. And verse 18 says, And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. If you wouldn't mind, I have just a chorus. And um, if we can collectively sing it as an act of worship and thanksgiving, he has done everything for us. This son is still out there. As a matter of fact, Second Peter 3 verse 9 
He says, is being patient for our sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Be you the younger son or the older son. He wants you all, every one of us, to repent. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me. Salvation so rich and free. Thank you.